Aye, let's uh, begin with a prayer. Heavenly Father, your word comforts but also challenges us and we pray this morning that we'll receive that challenge to grow discernment in our faith, that we'll nurture a biblical faith for your name's sake. Amen. Well, one of the delights of uh, running church events are risk assessments. Maybe you've done one before. They cover all sorts of uh, scenarios. Here are some that I, uh, I looked up. Just give it a time to read that one. Things were different back in the day. And even more different going further back. So, uh, risk assessments. Well, the idea behind risk assessments, though, is well-intentioned, and that's to prevent problems from happening, to guard against potential danger. Now, we're living in a world today where we'd say there's lots of issues, aren't there? Lots of problems, whether it's the ongoing gloom of the economic crisis or what Putin may or may not do next. But John here also presents us with a, a deeper, an eternal, a more profound potential danger. And he gives his version, if you like, of a risk assessment to guard against it. Well, we're continuing on in our series in our church values, and this is sort of the third round of those values coming through. And today we're thinking about nurturing biblical faith, and that's our first point. Nurture biblical faith. It's right there in verse 1, if you look down in your Bibles. You'll see there John addresses his readers as dear friends. So we know he's writing out of that loving desire and concern for their spiritual welfare. And he says, look, don't believe every spirit. And by spirit here, it's not some sort of a freaky Halloween type thing. No, it's that there is a spiritual dimension to it, sure. But the way that we encounter that, the spirits he's talking about in verse 1, are through the words of people. People who claim to speak on behalf of God. So yes, there's that spiritual dimension, but the way we see it is, is quite normal. It looks like someone standing up and speaking or claiming to speak on behalf of God. And John qualifies that a little bit at the end of verse 1, where he talks specifically about prophets. In fact, false prophets, he says, who have gone out into the world. And just as then, so today, there's many people, aren't there, who claim to speak on behalf of God. I've had a revelation, they might say. They prophesy about God. In the strict sense of that word, they, they teach about God. But John says, look, don't believe them all. See, there's a great temptation, isn't there, to simply assume that because someone has had theological training from a certain college, has been ordained, and is now in ministry, that everything they say we should take as coming from God. In fact, John explains clearly that we, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't just blindly assume. We shouldn't just believe everyone who claims to speak on behalf of God. Rather, John says, look, test the spirits. Test to see if they are indeed from God. And that's because, as he says, many people speak falsely about him. Many of these false prophets have gone out into the world. They're everywhere. But what they say is wrong. So we need to check 
as John says, to see if people who claim to speak about God are doing so legitimately. That should be the case whenever we hear someone claiming to do so. Even right now, as I'm speaking. Whether maybe you're visiting a church or on holiday somewhere, or you're at a big conference, or even here, each week at St. Mary's, John says, don't just believe every spirit, but test to see if it's from God. So we shouldn't want to be those Christians who are sort of committed to coming to church, but a little, little bit gullible or over-impressionable, overly impressionable. But we want to build in wisdom and discernment. We want to nurture biblical faith. And that's important because it's, it's possible to have faith in anything, really. And John's writing this into a situation where there were people who were claiming that Jesus wasn't God come in the flesh. You got it wrong, guys. They were denying the incarnation. Of course, that's what we remember at Christmas. Jesus coming into the world. God come down to man. So John's saying, look, you can, you can have a faith, but it might be a wrong faith. He wants people to have a right faith. And he's writing into that situation where there were those who were wanting to draw some believers away from an orthodox biblical faith to believe some new and secret teaching. Essentially, these new false teachers were saying that had special knowledge, a special revelation. God had revealed something new. So come on, move with us with this new revelation. Like an iPhone download, they, they claimed they'd had an update to a new and better version and understanding. But that's ridiculous, isn't it? Because by definition, surely God cannot be updated. He's unchanging for all people and for all time. So as then, also now, Christians need to be those who have discernment. Who have a mind that isn't just taken in by any and every spirit. But rather, as John says, are able to test the spirits. To see whether they are in fact from God or not. We need to nurture this biblical faith. You see, it's, it's, it's possible to come to church each week and, and not to think about that at all. To not think about nurturing our faith. To be sort of carried along quite happily, a bit like someone on the lazy river in a rubbering ride at the water park. But no, John calls Christians to not be passive, but active, to grow in the discernment of their faith. So they're not taken in by false prophets. Now that's not because John is against faithful Christian preaching. It's just that he longs that people speak faithfully about God, that they tell the truth. He wants Christians to have a biblical faith. So each Sunday when you come here to the service, you've got a job to do. Each one of you. Your job, according to John, is not to just sort of sit and be passive, but rather to do a little bit of work, to grow a discerning faith. In order that you can then test the spirits to see if they're from God, all these voices we hear in the world. We need to nurture that biblical faith so that we have the ability to discern false prophets. 
Now, some here today might have been Christians for a long time, many, many decades perhaps. And you might think, well, I, I've nurtured my biblical faith. But I'd just like to say, I don't think it ever ends. I think it's an ongoing, lifelong pursuit. We continually nurture and deepen our faith. It's a vital part of that dynamic of the Christian life. We, we're always growing and learning and discerning. Maybe you've uh, watched those nature programs with David Attenborough and you've seen him narrating the scene of a lion going after a herd of buffalo. It's a striking scene, isn't it? The lion you see stalking the herd to look for one who can be picked off and devoured. Well, that language is exactly used in 1 Peter 5 to talk about the danger that's presented by our enemy, the devil, who, as Peter says, prowls around like a lion, seeking out prey. In fact, Jesus also speaks very explicitly about this danger when he talks about ravenous wolves who come to devour the flock. And the way we resist that is the same way we resist these spirits that John says are against God and are false. We learn how to test them. That's how we avoid being taken in and devoured spiritually. We nurture a biblical faith. Now look, I'm not trying to throw a load of uh, schoolwork at you this morning or burden you, but there is a sense in which your responsibility for your spiritual health starts with you. You have a sort of duty of care towards yourself spiritually. That begins with listening carefully, weighing and testing what you hear, even weighing what I'm saying right now. And that's because, and John wants us to be clear here, there, there have been many false prophets who have gone out into the world. So we need to be vigilant in preparing ourselves for that reality by growing this biblical faith within us. You see, there's always been false prophets. And there always will be. But John says this morning, don't worry, I'll show you how to find them. I'll show you how to test to see if they're genuine. Now, the Christian culture in Britain today, I think, has a more subtle problem in this respect. And that's that we would hate to think of anyone as a false prophet. We can't imagine striding up to someone, least of all someone who is in ministry, and saying to them that based on their teaching, they must be a false prophet. We think that would show a very un-British, negative and judgmental spirit. Some might even say that this is going against the Christian idea of loving people, being inclusive of everyone. So Christians who want to stand up for biblical faith and challenge false teaching are thought of as divisive, exclusive, difficult characters. Some might even say that that kind of challenging Behaviour undermines the witness of the church. Stop going on about all this false teaching. Just let's love each other together and move forward as one. But I think if a psychologist was diagnosing the Christian church in Britain today, according to John's words here, they would say that we are in denial. We're in denial. You see, throughout the New Testament, there's a whole sweep of verses that warn Christians 
of the reality of false teaching and challenge them on that basis to nurture a biblical faith. Jesus spoke often of this. In the same Sermon on the Mount where he spoke about loving each other as you've been loved, he also spoke about false teachers. And understanding this is essential if we're to survive as Christians in this world. We need to nurture a biblical faith. And part of that involves knowing what's false. So the second point this morning is we need to be able to test biblical faith. You've probably seen those exclamation marks at the end now. These two points are both in the imperative, and that's for a reason. We're not to be passive, but active in the call that John's laying down here. We need to test if faith is biblical, and as John says, it's a test based on doctrine. That's what we see in our passage today. It's it's there in verse 2. So he says, this is how we can recognize the Spirit of God. Quite simply, John says that there will be those who acknowledge that Jesus Christ came in the flesh from God, and there will be those who do not, who deny it. And on that basis, people are either inspired by the Spirit of God or by the Spirit of the Antichrist. It's quite strong language and it presents a big contrast. But it's not actually designed to to be too complicated. In fact, John's main aim in writing was to reassure Christians of their faith. So what he lays out here is quite simple in a way. It's not that difficult to tell these false teachers apart from genuine ones. Do they deny that Jesus came in the flesh or not? Now this presents a a great challenge in some ways in our culture because there are many who claim that Jesus was nothing more than a prophet or a good moral teacher or a fascinating figure of history, but nothing more than that. And of course that, that then hits the issue of whether we can really know anything about God. If Jesus isn't fully God, then his words don't have the same authority. They're just another opinion. But on the contrary, to say that Jesus is God and his words therefore are not only authoritative but exclusive is for many an unpopular and controversial opinion. And that's because what we're encouraged to do in culture today is just to listen to everyone and, and validate everyone. There are so many different ways to know God, many different views of God, all valid in their own way. What's your truth, is the question we're asked today. But to that, John says a resounding no. If someone doesn't believe that Jesus came in the flesh from God, it's quite clear. That's the spirit of the Antichrist at work. See, the importance of Jesus having come in the flesh is touched on by John in the rest of this chapter 4. He speaks in verse 10 about how important it was that, that Jesus did come in the flesh because he had to die in the flesh to pay for our sin. I don't know if you've ever been part of a debating society. Sometimes debates can be quite interesting, can't they? Obviously, there's political debates we have. But just as there's been debates about all sorts of things, there's been theological debates down the decades, even down the centuries. Some of those are quite interesting to read about. Different views people hold about 
baptism, for example. There's legitimately different views, we might say. But this debate, this issue of whether Jesus came in the flesh or not, is not a debate about which people can hold a different view and still call themselves Christian. John's clear. If we don't believe Jesus came in the flesh, then we're not from God. But there's a spirit at work within us that is against Christ, that is anti-Christ. It's interesting to look at John's language because we could fairly say that on the basis of his words, anyone who speaks on behalf of God is inspired. Even the false prophet is inspired. The question is what? Are they inspired by? See, John explains that if someone speaks about God but does not confess that Jesus came in the flesh, then they don't have the Spirit of God inspiring them, but another spirit altogether. Now that can sound very offensive, but I think that's John's intention here. He's wanting to sort of shock the believers he's writing to, out of a passive, gullible, impressionable mindset which is leading them so easily astray into an active mindset, a discerning mindset that is able to test the spirits to know if they're from God. Sort of out of apathy into action is what's going on. Now when I mentioned that word doctrine, maybe you thought, oh yes, I've heard of doctrine. That's what's in those big heavy books that you can read at uh, night when you're in bed. They'll put you to sleep, especially if they land on your head. A bit stuffy and intellectual. For those who go off to theological college, uh, for those sort of more keen Christians. But John says, no, far from it. No, it's the duty of each and every one of us here today to, to learn some doctrine. And all I mean by that is learn what you believe. If you're a Christian here today, learn what you believe. Learn a bit about what the Bible teaches. doesn't necessarily mean we'll end up with a PhD from Oxford or Cambridge for those who went there. But we should look to be learning something a little bit more each day, each week, each month as time goes by about God. See, if we don't, then we'll be defenceless against false teachers. We need to be able to test biblical faith. That's why we have Bibles here in church, so that you can test what's being said from the front. I always find it sad when I go into a church, as beautiful as the building might be, and I look around and there's not a Bible to be seen. It's why we provide space in the service sheet for you to make notes so that you can write down and remember things you can maybe then later go back to it, test it, check it. This is how we sort of together grow and nurture biblical faith so that we can then test it. You see, down the decades and centuries, if there's anything that's threatened the state of the church, its growth and its unity, it's doctrine. It's what the church believes. It's what we believe about God, finally, that matters. So to say that we just cover it all over, all the doctrinal divisions with this idea of Christian love, just pour it over. It doesn't matter. Doctrine can take a back seat. 
That's completely unbiblical. It flies totally in the face of what John's writing about. Well, what does it look like then from what John says when we see these two different spirits at work? He's shown how to test them. What does it look like? Well, he lays it out in verses 5 and 6. There is on the one hand a group of people who claim to speak of God, but are, as John writes, from the world, and therefore just parrot the viewpoint of the world. Of course, as a consequence, the world laps it up, eagerly listens in, because it's what they already believe. In contrast, there are those who are true in the faith and are from God. When they speak of God, true believers listen in. But note that John also says that there will be those who don't listen. Now that's something that you see work itself out, not so much in a one-off incident, but rather accumulatively. Is someone's teaching just aligned with the viewpoint of the world or with the viewpoint of God's word? You see, as John tells us, there will be those from God who will, ne- who will inevitably find, as they speak of him, there will be those who don't listen, and there will be, therefore, opposition. It's one of the characteristics of faithful Christians down the centuries. At times, there's been opposition. But where there's no opposition at all, and where what is being spoken about God is actually just one step behind culture, and is looking to sort of update itself to fall in line with culture, the question then has to be, what spirit is at work in those teachers that's causing them to say those things? I think John is quite clear. You see, biblical faith is is never finally popular. But an unbiblical faith that dilutes Jesus down will always be popular and received by the world because it speaks the world's viewpoint. That's why it's so important that as Christians we know our Bibles well enough, not perfectly, but well enough to be able to test, to see if biblical faith is there, if it's genuine or not. When we hear someone speaking on behalf of God, we need to be able to know, is it genuine what they're saying? Because as Jesus said, broad is the road to destruction and many go down it, but narrow is the road to life and a few find it. Just as Jesus' teaching was not popular in his own day, neither is it today. You see, biblical faith doesn't speak from the world, but it speaks to the world about God. But it's quite the opposite with an unbiblical faith. See, there's nothing brave, nothing prophetic about declaring that there's fresh revelation now. We need to lead the church forward into a new era with a new understanding, which when you boil it down, is nothing more than an aping of the culture of one's own day. You see, if God is anything, he's unchanging. He fundamentally cannot be updated. He doesn't evolve His moral law is fixed from eternity, just as is the truth about him in his word. So the true prophet, not the false prophet, but the true prophet will 
not only speak of the things in the Bible that are uncontentious, but in following Christ will also speak about those things which people find challenging. That's not in order to court controversy, it's just to follow after the pattern of Jesus. So there might be teaching about what the Bible says concerning money or greed or sex and relationships, the idols we find ourselves worshipping, other such things. So we need to ask ourselves this morning, what voices are we listening to today? Do we hear God's voice as just simply one among many, as an option, equal to other podcasters we listen to, or lifestyle gurus? What voices are we listening to? Are we seeking to nurture a biblical faith that can test the spirits to see if they're from God? Because if we're to follow Christ faithfully as his disciples in this world, then we must grow in discernment so that we can recognize, as John says, the spirit of truth from the spirit of falsehood. Because John's clear, there's many false prophets that have gone out into the world. They're everywhere. So we need to nurture biblical faith so that we can test for biblical faith. But as challenging as that may at times be, look down at verse 4. There's that comfort there. You're God's dear child if you're following Christ today. And in him you have a certain victory. Because as much as the battle rages around, there is one in you who's greater than the one who is in the world. If you're a Christian this morning, you have that certain promise of victory and with it the glory to come because of what Jesus has done for you. And so even if the Christian life in this present age often feels like a pilgrimage through a barren land, we can persevere on with confidence in what's to come. Perhaps someone once even wrote a book about that. Amen.